0: I'm going to tell you about our piece of art this week because it was the youth group that put this piece of art together. We did it on Wednesday evening as we created it. We read through the scripture four different times, so I'm going to um, tell you about how it came about. When we first started, we, we were painting, and Daniel Gilbreth painted a gate. Thomas Dahl painted a wall. Parker Abrell painted a house. Brian Casper painted a peace sign. Mindy Radicky painted a man-knocking on a door, and Grace Johnson painted the ADT sign representing God's protection over us. (laughs) Modern day. Pamela Abdul painted a foot, and Emily Burks painted a building. The theme of buildings and homes and parts of buildings and homes was a key idea that kept coming through the art that they were painting. The words that came out in the passage when we read it again were words like love that Haley heard. Together, that Shannon heard. God, that Damara Ma- heard. Peace was a word that was significant to many of them. Armor was pulled out by Parker. The words rejoice, prosper, up, feet, building, Jerusalem, heaven, worship, and fellowship were all words that came up for the youth on Wednesday night. At the last part, we actually pulled out pictures of mag- out of the magazine to finish our piece of art, and Lauren April cut out a picture that represented celebrating. Christina Swanson picked a picture of a church. Sam Johnson cut out a p- picture of ice cream- an ice cream bar to remind us that it's the outer coating that keeps the goodness inside. <laughs> A few more artists were Nate Luckman, Nate Dahl, Matt Dykstra, our new friend Anna, who came for the first time on Wednesday night. And when all when it was all put together, I realized that feet were represented on here five different times in all three ways when we painted, when we had words, and when we had pictures from magazines. I think it's significant because we were talking about moving towards God during this series. The adults are calling it on the way. The students are calling it, are we there yet? (laughs) While on earth, we are on a journey. It is messy at times, kind of like our art piece. But we are moving with our feet and with our hearts towards Christ together.
1: You'll see that uh, Psalm 121 join Psalm 120 over there on the wall. We'll be being, the walls will eventually fill up over the 15 weeks, and we will uh, add each one there. I'm sorry I didn't get a, it. was my job to get a photo of that, so it was on the screen. So um, I will try to remember to do that each week. So I um, just want to invite you to come up afterwards, take a closer look at what the, uh, the kids have done this week. So thanks. An invitation, we just sang a song that was kind of an invitation. I believe this is Jesus, come and see. It's an invitation song. And really, the psalm that we look at today is also an invitation psalm. It says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I rejoice when somebody said, hey, come on, let's go. Let's, let, 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 let's get in. Let's get up there. Let's, let's travel, uh, as the kids had picked up in the imagery of that psalm as well. Let's put our feet to the ground and move towards a place of worship. I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Come on, let's go. I'm invited and I'm excited that I've been invited. I'm excited that I get to go to the temple. I'm excited that I get to go to church. I was talking to Megan this week and remembering when our children were little, we lived in Massachusetts. I served a church there for about five years, and our kids were probably being the ages of about, what, two and eight, you think? Two or three and eight? Anyway, they're a six-year spread. And um, we drove a full-size van in those days, and Megan had loaded the kids up. It was a weekday, and um, they were headed out, and, and uh, I was at my office, and they said, where are we going, Mom? And she said, we're going to the church. And what did they say? Oh, my! <laughs> they, they loved it. we it. Get- we get to go to church. They said, oh boy, we get to go to church. Uh, I'm sure it was because I was there, but actually we did have a gymnasium at that church that they loved to play with and balls with and things like that too. But it's a moment we remember because we, and we prayed around that. We prayed for our children who are all, all now mostly in their 20s and 30s, or 20s and their 30s, and um, and, um and they still like to go to church. Most of them do. And uh, so we're, we, we, we camped on that and thought, what, what do we do as parents, particularly as, as clergy parents, <laughs> where children actually grow up and want to go there and be there, excited to go? How many of you woke up this morning, you remembered that it was Sunday, and you got excited about coming to worship? You don't have to raise your hand unless you want to. But how many of you really said, I get to go to church today. I'm excited about going to church. How many of you had the opposite reaction, don't raise your hands, it's okay, because... <laughs> some of you might be out there. Or at least you woke up and maybe you weren't excited, but you looked forward to it. You thought, you know, I get to go today. I get to see, I get to connect with my friends. I get to see what we're going to do in worship today. What will we be singing? What, what's Pastor Scott going to say about wherever we are in those Psalms? I think we're up to 122. Who do I get to connect with? Who, 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 who do I hopefully have a conversation with? Maybe I've been a little bit lonely this week, feel a little bit disconnected, or I haven't been able to be here for, for several weeks because of travel and other commitments. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, to reconnecting and, and seeing friends. We, we look forward to it. There's reasons why and reasons why not for getting excited about coming to church. And think about it. It's largely, and I'll say largely, a voluntary thing. A few of you were coerced, and I won't ask to raise, you to raise your hands either. A few of you really have, did not have much choice in coming today, but for the most part, you all chose to come. We, we didn't really have a choice, did we, Diana? But that's okay. Thomas, no. But anyway, uh, but seriously, we, we, we still, we choose. We choose this. We choose this life, and we choose to make worship part of what we do. Going to church, going to the house of the Lord is a regular part of living this Christian life. Whether we get excited or not, it's the one thing that most Christians around the world do the most as an expression of their faith. Think about that. It's the one thing that most Christians do most of the time around the world as an expression of our faith and walking in our faith, Sunday worship, or in a few situations, Saturday worship. We are made to worship. We are called into the body of Christ. We are called into the body of Christ not just to be an organization, but to be people of worship, and so we are here, excited or not. I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. It's all connected to this old testament worship that we read about in the Psalm. This worship of God at the temple in Jerusalem. This was the place where the, the Jewish pilgrims went up at least these three times of year that we're recognizing as we look at these Psalms of Ascent. There were three festivals in which those in Jerusalem or those in, in the whole in, in Israel were required to go up who those who were able to go to those festivals. They were excited about going up. It was a time to see their friends. It was a time to worship God. It was a time to go to that temple, that place where they knew that God lived. And we believe that these 15 psalms were what they sang as they headed to Jerusalem, as they headed to the temple, as they headed to worship. And so we're studying them to see what they might say to us in our journey of faith, to see how they might help us in our journey towards a deeper connection with God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is what we're trying to say each week is this, that as these psalms carried the Hebrew pilgrims up to Jerusalem, so they can take us on a journey towards the heart of God. We are on the way as followers of Christ. Our title is On the Way, or Are We There Yet? as the kids are calling it. They take us on this journey. Psalm 122 two weeks ago, took us from a kind of a dark and distressing place in the tents of Kadar. And we saw that even in that dark and distressing place, there was some some hope that God was at work. There There was a hope for peace. And so we began to look ahead and last week as we spent some time with Psalm 121. We saw that this was a psalm of assurance of God's protection, uh, of assurance. As the the pilgrims sang this song, they asked that God would keep the evil outside of them and not allow it to get in the inside of them. And today as we come to Psalm 122, we find that it's a psalm of worship, a psalm of worship for them then and a psalm of worship really for us today as well. And so today I want to look at it as a, a bit of a challenge to us in our worship and in our love for church. Today, as Psalm 122 celebrates the joy of worship in Jerusalem, which they saw and knew as the dwelling place of God, as it celebrates that joy, it also challenges our love for the church and our love of worship with each other. I want the psalm to come as a wonderful expression of joy and worship, but I want it to be a challenge to us today in our love for the church of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at, first of all, see what it says about engaging God in worship, Secondly, what it says to us today about encountering Christ in community. I was glad when they said to us, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then something briefly here about what it says about embracing God's judgments or God's decisions, God's truth. And then thirdly, this business at the end about praying for the peace of Jerusalem really is pursuing the security and the well-being of the body of Christ as we meet in worship. And then finally, some final thoughts and a challenge about loving the church of Jesus Christ. So first of all, we look at engaging God in worship. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. For these pilgrims on this journey, not only was Jerusalem the goal destination, Jerusalem itself, but the worship and the connection of God was the big draw for them. Let us go to the house of the Lord where we get to worship. And even though they knew him as the one true God who was everywhere present, and for for God's people in that day, Jerusalem was the center of their political and religious life. Jerusalem was the place to go to be connected with other believers. It was the place to go to be connected with the heart of their faith. Every true Jew longed to be in Jerusalem. I rejoiced when they said, we get to go to Jerusalem. They knew that God was everywhere, but they knew that he was especially present to his people in the temple. Because Jerusalem and the temple itself and the Holy of Holies is where God dwells. They knew that that's where God dwells. It began with the tabernacle when they wandered in the wilderness. It finally got established as a a tent of meeting by David when he established Jerusalem as the capital and the center center place. And finally, the the temple that David always wanted to build, but God said, you're not going to build it, your son is. And Solomon did build the glorious temple. Became the place where God dwelt. There was only one temple. There was only one place of sacrifice. There was one place that truly was the house of the Lord to them. It was his dwelling place, and it was a joy, and it was a privilege, and they got excited when they got to go there and be in his presence and engage with him. They can hardly believe it when they get there. It says, the second line says, Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. It's like they got there, and and they're they're singing all these songs, and they finally get there and go, Wow, we're here. It's It's like you fly to a new place. A new state you've never been to or a new country and you get off the plane you go out on the street and you go look at all those license plates I've never seen that many in one place before. We're here! Do you ever do that? Do you ever do a little reality check of I can't believe I'm in this country I can't believe I'm in this state I've never been in before but look at all the people that look different and maybe I'm the only one that looks at license plates but anyway I do. <laughs> but they said that we're here we're, we're standing in your gates Jerusalem we're where God dwells. Is the Christian church the same thing? Not really, even though parents would like to say that when children are running around in a church. Stop running around in God's house. That'll help them love it, won't it? Yeah, anyway. um, Quit fidgeting. This is God's house. No, 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 no. It is and it isn't. The church building is very different from the temple of Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus said as he looked at that beautiful temple, at Herod's temple, Solomon's temple had fallen down. It was rebuilt by Herod. And Jesus looked at the temple and said, you know, this place is going to be destroyed. Literally. And in 70 AD, we have a historical record that the temple of God was destroyed and it has never been rebuilt. Jesus said it would be, never be rebuilt. And In fact, what did he say? That God would live after he died and rose again and sent the spirit? The spirit would live within us and God would dwell within his people and in his church. The New Testament teaches both as Jesus says that and in the epistles also that teaches that God's dwelling is in his people. Ephesians 2.22 says, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You're being built to be a dwelling in whom, which God lives by his spirit. I love it. In one of Peter's letters, he talks about us being living stones. We are living stones in the temple of God. That's where God lives now. But there's still a call for believers to be gathering together in worship. The writer of the Hebrews says, do not forsake your assembling together, but get together regularly. Be there for the teaching and the encouragement and the worship that comes. There's still a gathering together for the, to worship. There's still a family of faith. The church buildings are not so much the house of God as they are the place where we gather to be the church and to be the church where God dwells. And that's why a church can rent a school and still be a church without a church building. And church buildings are a wonderful gift when a church finally has that time to, to, to build their building. They don't have to haul their things around and move it in and out of a school. And then they realize 10, 20 years later they've got to do things like replace air conditioners and roofs and things like that. The buildings aren't all they're cracked up to be sometimes. Sometimes they're cracked up and they need fixing. But the fact is that we are the church and we do gather and we are called together to worship together. The then and the now is this is where we engage the living God. This is where we engage and connect with the living God. Worship is not just going to a place, worship is not just showing up and listening. But worship is engaging God in worship and engaging God in praise. And the psalmist even says here it's really what God wants, it's what he wants to hear. God inhabits the praises of his people. Or as it says here in verse 4, that is where we go up. That is where we go up to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. They were supposed to do it. And that's why they did it. They were obedient. Now, praise and worship is more than an emotional response to God. I realize sometimes when you do have a choice and you wake up in the morning and you go, should we go to church? And part of you says, I don't feel like it today. There have been a few Sundays in my life in the last 37 years as a pastor when I don't really feel like it. I still want to go. I still want to worship God. I don't want to disengage from God. It just might not feel very good that morning. But I know that praise and worship is more than an emotional response to God and what I feel like. It's more than just doing it when we feel like it. It is an act of obedience. This is where we go up to praise the name of the Lord according to the statutes given to Israel, according to the call given to the followers of Jesus Christ. And sometimes actions will actually affect our feelings. I remember in some of my basic counseling classes that my first round of seminary, I had to go twice to get it right, but I can remember some of those basic classes that asked the question, does action follow feelings or do feelings follow actions? And it does go both ways. And yet, I believe what happens with a lot of things that God calls us to is when we, when we do the action and we follow through with the obedience, the connection comes and then some of those feelings and the emotions that help support it, they don't verify it, but they help support it, can come along. The act of worship, the act of praise, the acts of remembering is what God calls us to. Those things draw us into a place not only of feeling, but of engaging God and worship. And sometimes we do it with our mind and sometimes with our heart but always with our spirit, that place where we connect with God, where we engage God in worship. That's a term that we use around here. We've done some survey work over the last few years, and one of the things that we, uh, we look at is a, a list of ten things we call ten healthy missional markers of a church. And there's things in there about our engagement with mission. There's things about our organizational structures, about our prayer life, our building of community. But one of them that we have really attached to about worship and the questions we've had about worship and some of the decisions we've made about it is engaging God in worship. Are we engaging God in worship? Not just do we like it, not like it, but are we engaging God? And so it's built its way into our, our vision for worship. And it's always been part of our worship, but some recent survey work that we've done shows that it's, it's on the rise. Things that we hear, things that we've read as we've surveyed and chatted with some of you say, it's, it's that sense of engaging God in worship is on the rise. People want to come to church. People are even excited about coming. We can even say with the psalmist there, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now there's a couple key words here as we move forward. The words are they and us. This is clearly corporate worship that the psalmist is talking about. This is not the kind of worship that's just Jesus and me out in nature. That can happen, but that's not what this is talking about. Or Jesus and me at home. Or Jesus and me and the television tuned to my favorite Christian TV station. Jesus and me and my monitor, why can't we do virtual church? We could, but there's something about the community that's here as well. And so we're not only engaging God in worship, there's something here that points us secondly here to encountering Christ in community. Encountering Christ in community. These Jewish pilgrims, new community, you can hear the shift from the individual. I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I love this. Let's see if we can work this out. So let's, I, I found this a minute. Okay, let us, let's go to this next one. I, my, our screen's dead back there, so I've got to look up here. Okay, I, the individual, was glad, excited, and thrilled when they, they being my godly friends, said to me, the individual, let us, me and they are the us, go to the house of the Lord. There's something communal going on here. It's a reminder that we were designed for corporate worship. We're strengthened and we're encouraged. We're built up when we worship together. And all this because the foundation for what we know and experience in Christ now is his body. Christ calls us into body. When we come to Christ, we are saved. He saves us, but he also places us in family. We're saved by Jesus Christ, and he says, now I want you to meet your brothers and sisters. And sometimes there's great joy in that. Sometimes they're like, them? (laughs) But God places us in family. And we walk this journey of discipleship together. And God begins to break down some of those things and and builds us together. No matter what it is, that the things that distinguish us, there's things that draw us together. It's a journey of discipleship together. That's why the kids are calling it, are we there yet, instead of, am I there yet? And we are on our way, journeying together. We worship with others. Also in the psalm and in the New Testament church is is a unity here that's going on, a unity in a diversity. All the tribes are praising God together. It says here, that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. We're excited about going to Jerusalem. We're standing at your gates. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. Different tribes from different places. Different tribes with different ages. Different tribes with different stages of life. Different tribes with different stories about how they got there. Tribes with different sorts of customs and how they do life and even how they travel. Different tribes with different preferences and different experiences. But when we come to worship, they are all focused on the one true God and offering him praise. When they gather for to worship, they become one in the person of Jesus Christ who has saved them and is at work in them and uniting them and filling them with the Holy Spirit. All these differences then become unified in worship of God. It happened in Jerusalem as the different tribes of Israel came together. Probably not perfectly. In fact, it wasn't perfect, but it happened. There was a unity of coming together. And then, and then it becomes the vision of the New Testament. We see it happening in the establishment of churches in Acts and the epistles. I love Acts chapter 13, the very first missionary journey. As they send out Paul and Barnabas out on this missionary trip, it lists the people that had prayed. And as we look at the backgrounds of those words, we find there's great diversity in the nationality and ethnicity of the people that are sending them out. And then as we read as the establishment of the churches in Acts and we begin to read some of the epistles that mostly that Paul wrote to these new churches, we find out that God did an amazing work of taking these very diverse people and making them one in Christ. We find out in some of these churches that rich and poor are sitting side by side. Slave and free, that just rolls off the tongue now, but in those days, that was a big deal. That a slave actually could come and sit next to a freed person in worship together and be one in Jesus Christ. And even bigger for the Jews was Jew and Gentile. Jews who would never associate with a Gentile in Christ are all made new. They are still Jews, but they are Jews who know the living Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're worshiping, they're unified with their Gentile sisters and their Gentile brothers. Rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, black and white, men and women. Women not separated out to the kitchen just to make cookies for later but women in vital actions of worship and teaching and even leading the church in some cases. Incredible things in the first century of God breaking down incredible barriers between people. The rest of chapter 2 of Ephesians, I just quoted that one verse, talks about the walls that are broken down between people in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, after, over the last several centuries since then, the church has done everything it can to rebuild walls and we've become very segregated ethnically, economically across the globe. But there's a fresh wind blowing in churches in the last decade or two. Some churches longer, some that were pioneer churches years ago with a deep desire and encouragement among many for a church that better mirrors the diversity of the kingdom of God. A church that better mirrors what Revelation tells us heaven will look like. I love this verse from, from Revelation four that's, or 7 that says this. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. Let me go back again. Every nation, tribe, people, and language. Speaking all different languages. As I said to Thomas this morning, even, that, even those letters with all those funny dots and circles over them in Swedish, right? Even Swedish. <laughs> Standing before the throne, they were wearing whites and robes and they were holding palm branches in their hand. That's verse 9. What did, what did they do? Verse 10 answers what they did. They worshipped. Glory and honor and praise be unto you. They actually, I hate to tell you folks, but they repeated choruses. They did this. They kept praising God. And the vision for us is not, I don't mean to be silly about that, but it's a vision for us too. Not just a, a diversity to be celebrated, an ethnic and economic diversity to be celebrated in our midst, but, a, but, a, um, but within it, a, a unity in our commitment to Christ, of doing the hard work of getting to know people that are different from me, and, and, and uniting in our commitment to Christ, of learning from each other, of listening to each other. A unity not to just say, isn't it great? But isn't it great to, to learn and to worship together and to learn some of the hard things together? A unity in our commitment to Christ and a unity in our mission. This is what we encounter in community in Jesus Christ. This union that Jesus gives us. I rejoice when they said to me, let us go and worship. This is where all the tribes from all the different places come and encounter God together. And this is where we come and encounter Christ together, wherever we're from and whatever we look like. There's also, thirdly in this psalm, an embracing of God's decisions. Um, verse 5 says, there in Jerusalem, there stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Hmm, Judgment. That doesn't sound like worship, does it? It sounds like some churches, though, right? <laughs> oh, judge. See, that's, it says we're supposed to be judgmental right there. That's where we stand. That's, that's what we think. When we hear the word judgment, we think judgmental. It sounds like a courtroom. It sounds like something that unfortunately is true of certain churches that we have known. But it's not what it's talking about. We're talking about judgments in a positive way. The decisions of God, the right and just decisions of God are his judgments. The meaning and intent here is more of uh, with the word of God. The meaning and intent here is God's judgment are his truth. The meaning of, of, of God's decisions are, are the decrees of God, what he has said to be true and that we know to be true. The things he has made judgments on, the things that he has decided and proclaimed as true, those are the truths that form us as people. They tell us who we are. We come to church and we get the big questions of life answered. What is my purpose? What am I doing here? Why did God create me? Those answers are in the judgments, the decrees, and the decisions of God. They're not always quick, quick, speedy answers, but we know. And sometimes we live simply in that hope that this is where we get those questions answered. This is where we can figure out who we are and we can learn who God is and we can observe how he's working and see that he's real and know that he's real and experience that he's real. As we embrace God's decisions together. So worship then is where we remember and believe. Remember and believe. That's why the Jews did these festivals. That's why they went to Jerusalem. That's why we go to church. We come and we remember the things that are true. And it reinforces our belief. Remember and believe. It's why the word of God is so central in our worship. It's why reading the word, singing the word, proclaiming the word, teaching the word, preaching the word are important to what we do in worship. And all of those are important in what we do in worship. The sermon is not just the pinnacle of the sermon. The other is filler. It's all part of the word coming alive in different kinds of ways as we worship together. It keeps us connected to God. It keeps us growing in our understanding. It keeps us growing in our relationships. This is the place where we celebrate God's decisions and where we remember and believe. But the word judgment in particular here also can refer to worship as a place where God straightens things out. I love this definition of judgment. Judgment is defined as the decisive word by which God straightens things out and puts things right. God straightens things out and puts things right. The word in worship then calls us to do things that fix relationships. The word celebrated worship calls us to love and to mercy with one another. The word sometimes calls us to repent repentance, to turn from something that's damaging the community or doing harm to ourselves or others. The word calls us to make that right. The word calls us to, to, to reconciliation and broken relationship. The word calls us to arrest, address and correct certain injustices or inequities that oppress and harm some people while others prosper. Imbalances of power in the culture that we live in. The word calls us to make those straight in the church so that we live powerfully together. God straightening things out in us and through us. In worship, we do not just admire the Bible. We listen to what God has decided, and we listen to where he is reminding us, refreshing us, and calling us, and even challenging us. God's decisions. We embrace God's decisions here. And then the final part of the psalm says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is not a political prayer. This has nothing to do with modern Israel or Palestine. You can still pray for that, but that's not what this psalm is about. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. has nothing to do with modern Israel, Palestine. It has everything to do with Jerusalem as a safe and a secure and a healthy center for the worship of God. And it has everything to do with the church today being strong and vital. We need to be praying for the church. We need to be pursuing the security and the well-being of the church. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure, says verse 6. Apparently in the Hebrew in verse 6, I said I went to seminary twice, I escaped both times with no Hebrew, so I don't speak Hebrew or read it, but I can read about it. And um, I shouldn't say escaped. It was unfortunate that Hebrew was not required for either of my seminary degrees. There's probably a Hebrew scholar in the room I just offended. So sorry. Um, Shalom. Um, (laughs) Oh, here it is. (laughs) But apparently there's a wordplay going on here, and I love wordplays. Between the word for pray, the word for peace, and the word for security, and even the word Jerusalem, all interplay in their sounds. Jerusalem, the word for peace is shalom, Jerusalem. The word for security here is shalva, Jerusalem. And there's apparently an interplay As the psalmist writes these words, and remember, this is poetry, and so this beautiful play of words to speak of the peace of Jerusalem and the security of God's house. For us, it points to praying for our church. Our church and the church with the capital C. Praying for the church and praying for the peace of the church. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Shalom is all things as they should be. All is well. Pray that all would be well. Yes, God does this work in our unity. And shalva, this word for security, is a, a security that is confident of God's presence and protection. Not a fearful security, but a confident security, like we read about in Psalm one twenty two twenty one last week. And the psalmist says, pray that for Jerusalem. Pray that sense of peace and security. And the word, I believe, says to us who are followers of Christ, pray that for the church of today. Pray that kind of peace. Pray that kind of security. That we here in our own little church and in the big church, capital C, will be a healthy church. A healthy church. That's a word we've been using a little bit off and on the last few years. One of our definitions for a healthy church is a church where we are pursuing Christ and pursuing his priorities. Going deeper into our walk with Christ and then because of that and getting to know him in his heart, we will pursue his priorities in the world and not our individual agenda. What is Christ calling us to do as a worshiping church? What is Christ calling us to do as we grow deeper? What is Jesus calling us to do as we seek to make a difference in the world around us? We've picked up on words in our vision about being an inviting community, about being a place of equipping, about going outside the doors and the walls of this building and making a kingdom difference. We've talked about holy manners so that we are more healthy in the ways that we deal with things and we handle conflict. One of the things that we're doing as an executive team and a board is the way we're doing evaluations now. They've done an evaluation of me, and an evaluation of staff, and we're growing that, and we've just done one on Thomas too. he passed. <laughs> but seriously, what we're doing is we're, we're gathering written evaluations, and we're bringing those and compiling those and sharing them with each other rather than overhearing conversations in the parking lot or picking up cryptic signs on Facebook. We're going to be more healthy about how we do evaluations and so we give good, honest feedback that will help that person know what to work on and enhance their ministry. It's just one example of what we're trying to do to be a healthier church, to speak more directly, to be more honestly tied into Christ's priorities about what his church becomes and who we are. I see it happening. I hear it happening in other places as well. The conversations are beginning to change and and get more encouraging and more positive. I'm excited about our church. I was excited to come today, not just because that was my opening illustration, but because I see where God is at work. This is a good church. It's always been a good church. We've gone through a few difficult things off and on over the years, but it's always been a good church, and it's always had a lot of health in a lot of places. We're getting better, though. We're getting better. Pursue. Pursuing Christ, pursuing Christ's priorities. To pursue the church that Jesus wants us to be. But it's back to that individual decision as well. It's back to the individual commitment. Like the psalmist said, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. There's an individual decision there of making a choice and accepting a challenge about what will I do to pray for and to be at work for the health and the peace and the shalom and the security and the confidence of my church That we'll more and more live into who God is calling us and has called us to be. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are we loving the church? Loving the church. Some of you get, well, all of you get, some of you read. I send an email, not quite, I call it my weekly communication. It comes about every two or three weeks, but I always ask the staff on Tuesday, what do I need to tell them this week? But I try to send an email to you, and often you may have noticed that uh, if you get as far as my sign-off, I sign it off, Lovin' His Church, L-O-V-I-N apostrophe, His Church, Pastor Scott. I always put that, and often when I write that, I feel it. And sometimes when I write it, I'm declaring it. Get the difference? Sometimes you look at a spouse and go, Yes, I still love you. And you mean it. You're not feeling it. But love for a spouse and love for Christ and love for a church is not all just this gushy emotional feeling, is it? There's days of challenge. There's days of, of stress in any relationship. We're not always rejoicing each other. But we always believe it and we declare it. I always mean it when I sign off loving his church? What are we doing to love the church of Jesus Christ? One of the books that I've been reading along with this series is, of course, I love Eugene Peterson, his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, but another little one by Josh Moody, who's the pastor up at College Church, Journey to Joy. And in his chapter in Psalm 122, he has a double encouragement around our commitment to the health of the church and as a community of faith. He says we may need to make two decisions. The first decision is to resist individualism, resist individualism, that's which keeps us separate from each other or keeps us home, and reject cynicism. We need to make the decision to resist individualism and reject cynicism. And I'd add that what I often say to people in times of conflict or times of discontent because there will be those times that can go in the direction of cynicism but they don't have to if they're dealt with, right? I sometimes ask church people, do you want to be part of the problem or do you want to be part of the solution? I spent some time earlier this week with one of our church members. We had a great time together caring for another church member and I got out of the car and I said, thank you for being part of the solution. (laughs) Thank you for being part of the solution. Loving the church is sometimes what we feel deeply, but it always ought to be our declaration and our intent. And rejecting cynicism means moving in the direction of what can I do then? What challenge is God giving me to love my church more deeply? And so I'd leave you then with these final two questions as we head towards our closing music, which are songs of worship, by the way, two songs of worship that will blend together and put this into play. How is the psalm challenging you and your love for the church? How is it challenging you and your love for the church? How is it challenging you and your love of worship? And then secondly, what changes, decisions, decisions, and adjustments might God be calling you to today? what changes in attitude, what decisions about what I do, what adjustments to how I think and what I see might God be calling me to today in terms of my love for the church and how I respond. Let's reflect for a moment. I'll invite the band to come and start when they're ready.